Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Let me, uh, let me clue you into a little bit of uh, pastoral sermon prep, uh, kind of insights. So when I'm preparing a sermon, I look for, I find a text, uh, and if I'm preaching through a book of the Bible, that's kind of easy to do because I know what's coming next. And I make sure that I get the heart of the text. What is the text telling us? What does Scripture say? And so I try to find the outline and make sure that I'm clear about what Scripture says. And then usually I try to come up with a clear conclusion and then a clear introduction. A lot of times in homiletics classes when I was in school, they would tell you that you've got about five minutes, sometimes a little less, to make sure that the people in the audience are going to pay attention. So your introduction has to set them up with a problem, show them why they should listen. Uh, That is, unless you're preaching on the subject of end times, because if I talk about the end times, people are going to tune in, what's going to happen next, or when a preacher preaches on the subject of sex. When we get to the topic of sex in Scripture, everybody's going to clue in, at least for the first few minutes, to kind of find out what in the world the pastor is going to say about this subject. Well, the book of Proverbs does not ignore this. In fact, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Solomon gives three specific challenges to his sons on the subject of sexual morality, and in particular, the subject of adultery. And so the Bible does not ignore the subject, uh, and so we cannot ignore the subject. It's important, particularly in the sense of a father talking to his son about making sure that he is pure sexually. You know, if you're attentive to what's going on in our culture around us, you might wonder about this. But isn't the Bible's version and vision of human sexuality outdated? I mean, the way culture seems to see sexuality and sexual intercourse and connection in that particular action, that particular activity, is so far distant from what the Bible says. Do we even need something that's 3,000 years old in Solomon's case or 2,000 years old in the New Testament's case to speak into an issue that's so contemporary? Well, you'd be amazed at the fact at how even contemporary views of sexuality are consistent with some of the predominant false views of sexuality even in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example before we jump in and read some of Proverbs chapter 7. A Catholic feminist wrote this. She said, God does not care what we do with each other's bodies. He only cares whether we treat each other as persons. It's her ideology. Well, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20, uh, Solomon writes this. This is the way of the adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. So even a contemporary vision of sexuality, which is based on personhood theory, that idea that you can separate one's physical body from the person, the interior of who one is. In other words, my mind can say something different than my physicality can say. Uh, Then separating that and being a part of that, then the Bible even speaks to that because that was the exact way of an adulterer or an adulteress. Hey, I can do this on Saturday night or do this on Monday morning, whenever, and I've done no wrong. I've I've just acted like the culture. The Bible speaks specifically to the issues that are going on in our world today. Why do we need a discussion on biblical sexuality anyway? Ray Ortland puts it this way. Here's a key concept that we must understand and applies to all of life. 
Get this, the gospel calls us into both form and freedom, both structure and liberation. Conservative people love form and restraint and control, especially in sex. Progressive people love freedom and openness and choices, especially in sex. And we see both extremes or both distinctions in our culture. He goes on to say both see part of the truth, but the gospel or the biblical worldview tells us the whole truth. The truth is God gave us our sexuality both to focus our romantic joy and to unleash our romantic joy. When this very human joy is both focused and unleashed, having form and freedom, it becomes wonderfully intensified. We thrive within both form and freedom. Sex is like fire, he writes. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside the fireplace, it burns the house down. Proverbs 5, and we could continue, 5, 6, and 7, he would say, keep the fire in the marital fireplace and stoke the fire as hot as you can. What's the distinction in terms of contemporary culture? We're living in a world where we, we have this idea that you can just do whatever you want to do physically and it doesn't really affect you as a person or an individual. In a wonderful book that I would recommend to all of you, but particularly to parents of teenagers or parents of students that are in college, Nancy Piercy wrote this book called Love Thy Body. And in it, she reflects on many of the challenges that our contemporary worldview is dealing with with regards to abortion, transgenderism, identity issues, and also human sexuality. She's got a chapter in there entitled Schizoid Sex. Basically, what she... uh, targets or what she addresses in that chapter is the hookup culture. The hookup culture today is essentially teenagers and particularly college students and young adults who would use this idea and say, I don't have time for a relationship. I don't have time to invest in a person to get to know a girl or a guy. I don't have time, so we're just going to get together. We're going to have sex, and we're going to you know, meet each other's physical needs, and we're going to walk away like nothing is, has happened to create any kind of intimacy or relationship. We're just going to do the deed, and that's, that'd be it. And that is the kind of viewpoint that is permeating human sexuality as we see it in our culture today. That's tremendously problematic. She writes, Sexual intercourse, the most intimate of bodily relations, has been disconnected from personal relations. Sex is cast as a purely recreational activity that can be enjoyed apart from any hint of love or commitment. In just a few moments, we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 7, where this foolish young man succumbed to a temptation, a seduction that said just that. He could go about his sexual pleasure and walk away as if nothing happened. But that is flawed and full of folly. Let me say that very clearly. When the Bible says that we're supposed to walk wisely with regard to sexuality, the contemporary perspective regarding hookup culture is completely inconsistent with both science and with the biblical worldview. What do I mean by science? Well, get this. In intercourse, women, a woman releases oxytocin, which is a hormone that creates a necessity for intimacy or a desire for intimacy and a bond. 
in intercourse, a male releases vasoprocin, which basically creates a bond or desires to create a bond with the person in which you're, in, you're intimate with. That's why in the New Testament, Paul said, you're not to give your life to a prostitute because you've become one with her. It's why in the book of Genesis, a man and a woman shall leave their father and mother and they shall cleave to each other and the two shall become one. God made it so that sexual intercourse cannot be separated from a type of bond or relationship. Whether you want it to or not, you can go do whatever you want to with your bodies. The problem is you can't stop the fact that your bodies release uh, chemicals that desire you to be in some kind of bond or relationship. That's why God saved or asks us to save the sexual relationship for the married relationship because he wants it not just to be an act of physical exhilaration and joy. He wants it to be a a relationship that builds intimacy between a husband and between a wife. And by the way, that's what the Bible talks about. The Bible's utterly clear that the sexual relationship is to be enjoyed inside marriage. And that's Solomon's perspective. That's why he writes in Proverbs chapter 7 about this young man who was in, in the way of making a mistake. Pick up with me, chapter 7, verse 6. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness." And behold, the woman meets him, and she's dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Today I've paid my vows. So now I've come. I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. She says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. If your face turned red as I read that, that's the Bible. God's speaking to us about what takes place when someone is fooled into thinking that sexual experience should and can happen outside the marriage relationship. Look at three examples of the simpleton. That's the word used, a young man, a simpleton, a fool intellectually. He's someone who is uncommitted. He's trying to figure out life. But, and there's nothing wrong with being at a place in life where you're trying to figure things out. A lot of teenagers are at that place. College students are at that place. Adults are at that place. There's nothing wrong with being in a place where you're open-minded and trying to figure something out. The problem with this particular man is he was trying to figure things out, but he was going the entirely wrong direction to try to figure out what was going on in his life. We see some things that happen with uh, simpleton. First, we see that simpletons are easily enticed. He was walking down the wrong street. Let me tell you something. He knew he shouldn't have been where he was going. Okay? It was dark. It was not the right neighborhood. 
It wasn't the place you, you, you should be if you're trying to keep yourself right with God. He was in the wrong place. It's plain and simple. He was in the wrong place. He was doing the wrong things. He was easily enticed. Now, now we could draw that forward into a contemporary experience. And, and you know, if someone has, has invited you to, to make some kind of seductive comment to you, invited you into a sexual relationship, if someone who has kind of offered themselves, well, we're to avoid that person. We know we're not supposed to engage in sexual immorality outside the marriage bed. But I'm going to tell you, in today's contemporary world, it is far too easy to be enticed. You don't have to walk down the wrong street. You don't have to be like David and not be at war, but be on your rooftop looking, looking out across the neighbor's house to see someone who's undressed. All you have to do is turn on the television or pick up a smartphone or look at a computer screen. Or, or read some kind of novel that, that has that as the, as the context in the novel. I mean, we don't have to go very far to be enticed sexually. And, and that's one of Satan's tactics to make us feel dirty, to, to make us behave in ways that are inconsistent with biblical Christianity, and to put us in a, a situation where we won't be able to say to our spouse, I will be here one day, because we have chosen to abandon the covenant of a marriage relationship. Simpletons are easily enticed. What does that mean for us, folks? That means we've got to avoid the things that are enticing. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If, if your sin problem is not an adulterous relationship in the classic sense of Proverbs chapter 7, but is a pornographic relationship in the sense of what you watch on television or what you read or what you listen to or whatever it might be, then you've got to cut those things out of your lives. That's what Solomon is warning us against. Simpletons are easily enticed. The best way to address sexual folly in our lives is to nip it in the bud at the outset. It's not to play with it. This simpleton played with sexual temptation. He, he was going the wrong way. Well, if you don't go the wrong way, you're not going to be invited to do the wrong thing. You're going to be in a better place. Not perfect, not completely free of temptation, but you're going to be free of that temptation. And so I would advise you to be warned and be wary. Simpletons are easily enticed. Simpletons are also quickly seduced. It didn't take her a lot of effort to get this guy into her home. I mean, she made it sound like she was waiting for him. Hey, I've had my sacrifices. I've prepared my house. My husband's away. He's going to be away for a couple of weeks. He took his money bag with him. No way he's coming home. We won't be found out. We won't be seen. You can do this and go away and nothing will happen. She enticed him with all of these words, all of these invitations, all of these opportunities. And, and what did he do? It wasn't long before you could see that her claws were dug into him. And instead of walking away like he should have, he walked with her and went with her, and she seduced him by her words. Simpletons are quickly seduced. Let me pause for a second and say something about the, the context of this particular passage of Scripture. You might be reading this or reading along with me and think, man, Solomon makes this woman out to be really, really bad. 
And, and is, is that his viewpoint of women? Does he just think women are bad? No, he doesn't. Because one of the things Solomon does throughout the book of Proverbs is he highlights folly with a woman, and he also highlights wisdom with a woman. You'll see that in chapter 8. You also see that in that beautiful text that many use in, on Mother's Day for Proverbs 31. So Solomon doesn't have anything against women per se. Solomon is a dad talking to his sons. And so, in particular, he's relating to his sons a specific temptation that his sons may go through. If we look at this in a general sense, folks, I have counseled and conversed with just as many evil, uh, well, just as many husbands that have struggled with dealing with, with, uh, with evil women as I have struggled with women dealing with evil men. Seduction doesn't require it to be a female. It can be a male who can overuse his power and authority. And the way that works in human experience is oftentimes women will seduce to get power over men, and men will seduce to get certain pleasures from women. And it creates a terrible cycle of villainy and evil and something that God is not pleased with. And we see that broken out in this particular instance where this vile woman seduces this young, unsuspecting, uncommitted man. Simpletons are quickly seduced. Simpletons are manipulated. They're, they're turned. They're, 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 they're unwilling to avoid the opportunities that are in front of them. Folks, let me just warn all of us. If you find yourself in the midst of sexual temptation, and you find yourself being lured by the lies no one will see, no one will know. No one can find out what I've watched. No one can find out where I've gone. No one can find out who I've been with. Let me warn you, everyone can be found out. This guy thought nobody saw it. But Solomon was watching. Someone is always watching. God sees everything that we see, do, think, and desire. Your spouse will eventually find out. Your family will eventually find out. A neighbor will eventually find out. You won't be able to keep those sins hidden. Don't be so quickly seduced. And here's the ultimate reason why, at least according to Proverbs chapter 7, simpletons are eventually destroyed. Look at verse 22. All at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter. Boy, that's bold imagery. Or as a stag is called fast. Till an arrow pierces its liver. Or as a bird rushes into a snare. The young man does not know that it will cost him his life. Now sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim... Has she laid low, and all of her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, that's death, going down to the chambers of death. Simpletons are eventually destroyed. Sexual sin, any sin, will eventually lead to death, folks. You got to know that. God provides the solution for our sin through Jesus on the cross. But sexual sin is a predominant way to lead to death because it is so encompassing of our entire persons and so damaging and destructive, not only of our, in, our persons, but of the relationships that we have. 
especially in the case of adultery, as what you see in this particular text. Uh, Nancy Piercy reflected on this in a conversation with a teenage girl, well, a young adult girl, she was in college. She asked this question of her doctor regarding the contemporary views of sexuality. She said this, Why, doctor, do they tell you how to protect your body from herpes and pregnancy, but they don't tell you what sexual encounters do to your heart? Let me tell you something, folks. If we continue in the pattern of our culture regarding sexuality, essentially what we're doing is with every partner we have, we're giving a little piece of us and taking a little piece of them with us. And it is emotionally destructive. It's not physically healthy either, but it's emotionally destructive and it's spiritually damaging. How about this for destructive? story in the UK came out a number of years ago where a businessman was sent out of town by his company. The first night out of town, he picked up the phone in the hotel room to call a call girl. He's waiting in his hotel room for the call girl to show up. The girl knocked on the door. He opened the door, and it was his daughter. And he had a heart attack immediately. Sin, sexual sin, is destructive. Folks, I've had more conversations with uh, families, husbands, wives, couples, regarding sexual sin from pornography all the way to adultery and about anything in between. Let me assure you, it is messy. It is painful. It, It creates brokenness. It's not automatic that restoration can take place. I'm going to advise you that sexual sin, any sin, but sexual sin is eventually destructive. Simpletons are eventually destroyed. So what do we do with a passage of Scripture like this? What do we walk away from? Hopefully not just the bad news, hopefully not just the devastating news. Let me give you four specific application points that we all can kind of walk out of here with. Here's the first one. This is to everybody. Be attentive to the Word. I want you to catch what Solomon does. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, but her ways wonder and she doesn't know it. Chapter 7, verse 1, notice this. My son, keep my words. Treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commands and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call to insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Solomon repeats those same phrases and same ideas throughout the book of Proverbs, but in particular with relation to sexual sin. What's he saying? We are to be attentive to the word. We're to be attentive to the voices that offer protection and purity. You know the best way for us to avoid temptation, any temptation, sexual temptation in particular, the best way for us to avoid sexual temptation is to listen to what Scripture teaches us about human sexuality and listen to what Scripture teaches us that is right from wrong. Solomon uses phrases like this, keep them as the apple of your eye. What's the most important thing that you look at during the day? Well, hopefully it's the Word. 
The apple of your eye is the idea that it's something important, that it's a priority, that it matters to you, that you care about it. I, I think all too often in our contemporary culture, the thing that we look at the most is some version of media that is designed to get us to think about things from a, sexu- from a, a sexualized perspective, from a cultural perspective that is at odds with what Scripture teaches, whether it's a smartphone or a television screen or whatever it may be. The images that we see are not designed to help us know what is right and wrong, true and what is good and what is healthy. And what Solomon is saying is one of the best ways for you to make sure that you don't lean into this simpleton pathway that you don't go down this way of sexual folly is to keep God's word, keep the instruction of scripture as the apple of your eye. He gets even more bold with the imagery. He says this, not only the apple of your eye, bind them around your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, memorize them. Book of Psalms 119 says it this way, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Scripture It is what helps us to withstand temptation. It gives us a guide and a framework. It offers us protection and defense. And John Owen, in his book, classic book on temptation, he talks about the fact that to withstand temptation, we need to be watchful and prayerful. As Jesus told his disciples in the garden there the night before he died, Scripture helps us be watchful and prayerful. Folks, some of you are struggling with sexual temptations. Some of you are in a situation where you're like, how in the world can I avoid the pornographic addiction that I have? How can I break that habit? How can I turn from it? Some of you may need some extra help. You may need to reach out to us at the church, info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org. You can come by and see us, make a phone call to us. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you confidentially. We'll help you find some answers. But in the short end and in the most direct way, let me say this to you. If you will let God's word be your God and bind it around your fingers, memorize it, think on it, and dwell on it, when you're facing those moments of temptation, I'm going to tell you, God's word will help you not to fall into sinful behaviors. It will help you overcome. I I, I wouldn't tell anybody who comes and sits in my office and says, I've got a pornographic addiction, I'm struggling with this. I wouldn't tell anybody to cut it off cold turkey and say, you know, uh, go home, turn it off, do better. No, what we need to do is go home, turn off any opportunity that we have to be able to access that. And then you know what I tell folks? When you are in those places and moments where pornographic addiction takes place, pick up the Bible and read the Bible. Replace it with something that's right and righteous. You remember that guy who was easily seduced, who was manipulated? Where was he? He was in the dark at night going down the wrong place. For many of us that struggle with those sinful temptations, it's when nobody else is around. It's when nobody else can see. Those are the times that the internet access needs to be cut off, the TV access needs to be cut off, and the Word needs to come out in our lives. Be attentive to the Word. Solomon gets even more picturesque in the imagery. He says it this way, Marry wisdom. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Uh, commentaries seem to think sister is not a sister, a sister in the sense of relational sister, biological sister. It's a reflection of intimacy. Say to wisdom, I'm going to connect with you. We're going to be together. We're going to spend time together. Wisdom is God's word, by the way. Make sure that we're intimate with God's word, that we know God's word. And God's word knows us. And that is one of the greatest ways for us to avoid 
being a sexual simpleton or someone who falls into folly and ends up eventually destroyed. All of us, we need to be attentive to the word. Let me speak to the married couples. Husbands, wives, spouses, be enamored with your spouse. Be enamored with your spouse. I'm going to make all of you blush. Well, I'm not. Solomon is. Proverbs 5.15. Listen to this. Listen to these words. This is Bible, so we need to read it. We need to abide by it. Listen. Drink water from your own cistern. Proverbs 5.15. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the street? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Solomon says to us, to his sons, to us by extension, be enamored with your spouse. Don't ever lose the, the love for one another physically, intimately, and sexually. It, it, let me say it this way, or let me read what Ray Ortland says about it. Uh, why, this is to you wives specifically, but it flows uh, husbands as well. Listen to this. Of all the women on the face of the earth today, you as a wife are the only morally legitimate satisfaction for your husband's thirst of sexual enjoyment. So there's nothing wrong, wives, with you seeking to please your husband sexually. In fact, that is a fantastic way for you to help make sure your husband stays pure sexually. Nothing wrong with it. And husbands, you are the only means of sexual fulfillment and emotional fulfillment that's morally legitimate for your wife. And if you're lost as a husband, if you are not there, not present, not a listener, not engaged, don't care for your wife, then you know what she's going to have a temptation to do is find emotional connection, emotional viability outside of a relationship with yourself. Let me tell you something, husbands and wives, married couples, be enamored with your spouses. You must be. It's one of the ways that God legitimized sexual pleasure, but it's also a means by which he wants it helps us to stay sexually pure. How about this study that Nancy Piercy reflected on? She said the people who are the happiest sexually are married, middle-aged, conservative Christians. You know why? Because God intended the sexual relationship to be monogamous and end a marriage. And when you're emotionally connected and physically connected and spiritually connected, that's when the most satisfaction comes. Culture makes it look like the adulterous relationship or the fling is the most satisfactory. I promise you it's not. It never ends the way that they suggest it ends. It's destructive. It's damaging, just like what Solomon said in Proverbs 7. That's to the married couple. To the single those of you in the room that are not married, maybe your spouse has passed away. Maybe you're not married yet. Let me speak to you for just a moment. Be aware that you are way more than your sexuality. I think one of the most destructive 
cultural uh, experiences of the 21st century is that our culture connects everything or nearly everything to sexuality. Identity, uh, experience in life, actions, what we do, what we say, what we think. And if you read through Scripture, certainly sexuality is a big part of who we are as humans, especially in a married relationship. But let me say this. There is way more about you than your sexuality. You are way more important than the way you are designed biologically, than the gender that you have, or than the physical experiences that you experience. You're way more than that. We are way more than that. So let me say to you, if you're single and in the room and you've listened to this entire message, you'd be like, well, this doesn't apply to me. 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 Let me say something to you. You matter to God just as you are. You don't have to be in a sexual relationship with a husband or wife for you to matter to God. And by the way, that lack of attachment can let you focus on a relationship with God in some ways way more wonderfully than an attached relationship. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 7. Jesus was unmarried. You think he was any less in the eyes of God because he didn't have a spouse? Absolutely not. Let me say to all of us, to the singles specifically, you are more than your sexuality. Let me speak to any who this applies to. Be willing to exit the path of destruction through the gospel and through repentance. I know without a shadow of a doubt that some of you here, some of you listening, and some of you watching are in the throes of sexual temptation and sexual sin. I know that there are some men that are utterly controlled by pornography. I know that there are some men that may not be controlled by it, but it's a regular struggle in your life. I know that there's probably a married relationship that is present, that's watching, that's listening, where there's one spouse who's engaging in a sexual liaison with somebody outside their marriage, committing adultery. Now, I'm, I'm aware that those types of things are going on. I'm aware that some of you, uh, those things are in your past, but you still carry the guilt of past actions. Let me say this to all of you, to any that this applies to. Be willing to exit the path of destruction. This message is an invitation from God to you to repent and turn back to Him. It's never too late for you to confront, be confronted by your own sinfulness and confess your own unrighteousness and be cleansed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how far you are down that road, it's never too late for you to confess and repent and come back to God. I, I'm not at liberty to share with you the stories of reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness and cleansing that I've known about in counseling sessions and in experiences, but I'm going to tell you it is a beautiful and wonderful thing when husband or wife, spouse or individual comes to God, comes clean to a spouse, acknowledges what's going on, confesses and repents, God cleanses, and there's a restoration that takes place. It's a wonderful thing. Some of you think there's no way I can admit to it. Well, let me tell you, God already knows. God already knows. It's a lot less painful if you'll just admit it to whoever you need to admit it to than if God exposes it on, on his own time. When he exposes it, it is a lot more painful. So be willing to repent. Be willing to experience cleansing and forgiveness from the gospel. 
Let me say this to all of us. The gospel cleanses every sin. Doesn't matter how dirty we feel because of our sins. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sexual sin comes with its own set of consequences and, and results that can never be put back in a box, put back in a bottle. Can't, can't go back and fix those. But let me say to all of us, there is no sin that cannot be cleansed by the blood of Jesus that hung on a cross for your salvation. There is no sin that can be washed. There's no sin that can be cleansed. And I would beg of you, come to Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness. He will cleanse. He will wash. He will forgive. He will make you right with himself. He can restore. No one else can. As we close this, uh, this worship service out, let me speak to those of you who may not be believers. Maybe sexual sin or sexual temptation is what you really struggle with. And the hang-up of you coming to know Jesus is because you're not willing to give up that sexually explicit relationship or addiction. I'll tell you something, Jesus wants to save you and forgive you for that. And he wants to take you to heaven and wash that sin away. I would beg of you to turn to Christ in repentance, receive his forgiveness, receive his eternal life. If you're struggling with sexual addictions, find somebody to talk to. Find a friend, an accountability partner, a teacher, uh, a pastor, somebody that you can confide in and say, here's what's going on. I got to work through this. I don't want to be destroyed by it. I know I'm on the path of destruction. Please help me. Get some help. I promise you it's better to get help now than to wait and end up in a destructive pattern. Parents, teenagers, don't ignore this subject. Don't walk away from it and think, okay, oh that's not my kids. That's not what they're dealing with. I'm telling you, we're all dealing with this in a, in a big, big way. Find some resources. Get Nancy Piercy's book. Work through it. And how about this last one? This is what I want you to do during our invitation time. Pray for somebody. Maybe it's yourself you need to pray for. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's somebody that you know, you know, that this type of issue is something they're struggling with. I'm going to tell you something. God works through the prayers of his people. God works through. Take some time. Pray for those you know are struggling and invite God into their situation. Maybe you need to invite God into your situation. Stand with me, if you will, as we close today. Lord God, uh, challenging message, a challenging word from the book of Proverbs. Uh, something that we don't necessarily like to think about as a problem for us or even as a problem for those we love and know because it is potentially so damaging but Heavenly Father, your word is clear about what is protective, what is important. And Lord, I know that uh, there are some even listening right now, even going to listen on Sunday, that are in that pattern of sinful behavior. Lord, that unless you intervene, unless you get through to them, unless they repent and turn to you, 
uh, Father, they're going to be damaged and maybe even eventually separated from you forever. And I pray that that wouldn't happen. I pray that you get through their, um, their sinfulness, their addiction, their immorality, whatever it is, get through it so that they can see the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness offered. Father, I pray for the one that feels like they can't be forgiven, that the guilt of the past covers them. Lord, remind them that your blood covers everything. Remind them, Lord, that under Christ they're forgiven and they're washed free. Father, for the married couples in our room, I, I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to testify like Mike and Vicky saying, I'll be here. Help us to love our spouses, be enamored with our spouses, love dearly and deeply our spouses. Why? So that we can be a testimony of your goodness and forgiveness, reconciliation, grace and mercy in our lives to a world that desperately needs a picture of what real love and real commitment looks like. Father, for the teenagers and the kids in the room that are gonna face sexual temptations in ways that we have not even dreamed of, Father, I pray that you'd help us as parents to prepare them well. I pray that you'd help us to be aware of what's going on so that we can help them. And I pray, Lord, you'd protect them. Protect them from foolish decisions, from decisions like the simpleton made. Keep them from losing their hearts, losing their lives by going down a path of destruction. Protect them, Lord, and help us as parents to be aware of what's going on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 